0: Chapter Sixteen of the Old Tobacco Shop. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Laurie Arsenault. The Old Tobacco Shop by William Bowen. Chapter Sixteen Captain Lingo and a Fine Piece of Headwork. The man with ear-rings muttered something in a fierce undertone to his six followers. They spread out behind him in a wide line. With a stealthy step they came forward noiselessly. The party by the wall held their breath in terror. Nearer and nearer came the seven men, still in perfect silence. They reached the cowering company by the wall, leveled their pistols at their breasts, held up their cutlasses ready to strike and looked at their leader for the command to kill. At this moment the man with the ear-rings observed the form of Aunt Amanda on the ground. He stooped down and examined her, and stood up again. Then he eyed the company of travellers with a hard, cold eye, and spoke deliberately in a low voice. His manner of speech was somewhat stilted and precise, and scarcely what might have been expected of a pirate. "'The ceremony,' said he, will be deferred for the moment. I commend you, meanwhile, to perfect quietness. One movement, and the consequences may be fatal. A hint is sufficient. I perceive here a lady in distress. Tis a monstrous pity, indeed. I regret that we were unaware of the presence of a lady. Had we known, we should certainly have taken our measures more fittingly. I crave your pardon." no one has yet accused captain lingo of rudeness to a lady ketch put up thy cutlass and go straightway to the pool and wet this pocket handkerchief be brisk thou muddle-pated son of a sea-cook haste the man called ketch jumped as though he had been stung and took from captain lingo's hand a fine white cambric handkerchief which the captain had produced from his breeches pocket and running to the water, moistened it and returned in great haste. While this was going on, the poor captives were able to examine their chief captor more carefully. They remarked with surprise the fine quality of the handkerchief with which he had handed to his man, and they were even more surprised to note the whiteness and fineness of the linen of his shirt. His breeches were of blue velvet, and his sash and the kerchief which bound his head were of crimson silk on the fingers of each hand he wore three or four diamond rings which sparkled brilliantly in the half-darkness his stockings were plainly of silk and the buckles at his knees and on his shoes were of polished silver outlined in diamonds his face was hard and cruel but its unpleasantness may have been due to a long scar which crossed his mouth from his right cheek to his chin when he smiled as he did in referring to the lady in distress The scar gave to his face a singularly evil expression. Taking the wet handkerchief from Ketch's hand, he knelt beside Aunt Amanda and bathed her face and wrists, slapping her cheeks and temples smartly now and then with the handkerchief, and changing her position so that her head lay lower than her body. After he had worked over her with much care for a few moments, Aunt Amanda opened her eyes, she was staring at the frightful crooked smile of a strange man with rings in his ears and a kerchief on his head she started up bewildered where's toby where am i who are you captain lingo ma'am said the strange man at your service let me up said aunt amanda she struggled to her feet rejecting the assistance offered by the ear-ringed man and stood facing him her bed bonnet very much over her right ear who are you she said again your humble servant ma'am said the strange man smiling his crooked smile captain lingo by name a gentleman adventurer of the high seas owner of the treasure which you have discovered here in our little retreat known here on the spanish main as the scourge of ships and loyal servant of His Blessed Majesty King James, whom the saints defend, your obedient, humble servant to command. He made the lady a very courtly bow. Toby whispered into Freddie's ear, He can't be so terrible bad, not with all that polite way of talking. Don't be afraid. We'll be all right with this pirate. Who on earth is King James?' Aunt Amanda was also much relieved by the pirate's polite address. "'As long as you are my obedient servant,' said she, "'I'll thank you to help us to get out of here as soon as possible. "'We didn't want to come in the first place, "'and we are in a hurry to get out.' "'Captain Lingo laughed heartily. "'They are in a hurry to get out, lads,' he said to his companions. "'And at this they all laughed uproariously.' "'I don't see anything to laugh at,' said Aunt Amanda. "'If we don't get out of here soon, we'll catch our death of cold.' This made Captain Lingo laugh more heartily than before. "'Ha, ha, ha! Their death of cold! That would be a rare fine thing, but a bit too slow, lads, eh?' And the other six laughed again, so that the walls of the chamber echoed with their mirth. "'What do you mean by too slow?' said aunt amanda madam said captain lingo we are a little pressed for time we really could not wait for you to die of colds what said aunt amanda faintly her feeling of confidence beginning to ooze away do you mean to say madam said the pirate seriously i will put it to you plainly our treasure which you have discovered has taken a great deal of hard work to accumulate We really couldn't bear to lose it. The people of this island, and a great many other people besides, have been trying for many years to find it. You have not only found it, but you have even gone so far as to open certain of our bags, in spite of the warning posted above your heads. Now picture to yourselves, dear madam and gentlemen, what consequences would certainly ensue if you were to leave here (coughs) alive. "'Oh!' gasped Aunt Amanda, "'leave here alive! All the fruits of our industry would be lost, and our own safety would be imperiled. You will readily see that, of course. Tis a pity so many will have to die at once, for it will mess up the place very badly, and I always endeavour to be neat. But why, why did so many of you come at once?' couldn't you have come say two at a time it would have made so much less trouble ho oh, said mr punch if we had only stopped at ome hall of us however i do not wish you to feel too keenly the trouble you are putting us to my brave lads will cheerfully put up with the inconvenience though i must confess the amount of blood will be quite unusual and so many bodies will be troublesome to bury I wish it were possible to have you walk the plank. However, pray do not bother too much on our account." "'We weren't thinking about you at all,' said Toby. "'We were thinking about ourselves.' "'Oh!' said Captain Lingo, in a tone of disappointment, "'I beg your pardon. I misunderstood. At any rate, we will now prepare for our little ceremony. If there are any trifling articles of jewellery and the like, I will be pleased to—' "'But this boy!' cried Toby. "'And this lady! You don't mean to—you can't mean—' "'Not for worlds!' said Captain Lingo. "'Would I be rude to a lady? "'I trust you will find my conduct towards the lady beyond reproach. "'There shall be no rudeness of any kind. "'Merely a quick stroke, and all will be over.' No violence, no roughness of any kind, not a word to offend the most sensitive ears. A single stroke, and the affair is done. And let me tell you, I have here with me a practitioner who is very expert in this sort of business, our friend Ketch, in fact, who was so kind as to wet the handkerchief for the lady. I assure you that you are in great luck to fall into the hands of such a practitioner, He will make it as pleasant for you as possible. One stroke only, I promise you. With one stroke of a cutlass he is able to slice off a head as neatly as you could do with a broad-axe. There are very few who can do it with a cutlass, let me tell you that. Many men have become famous by being operated on by catch. I remember a case, however," he said, looking about him as if considering something, and speaking rather to himself than to the others. It would be difficult to bury the bodies here, and the light is not very good, I think. Yes, I think it had better be done outside. You are already wet, and I trust that another immersion will not inconvenience you too much, lads, he said to his six men. Put on the rubber suits, and help our friends under the fall. Look alive now. The six men immediately ran to their rubber suits and began to put them on. While they were doing this, Toby put one arm about Freddy and the other about Aunt Amanda. She lowered her head to his shoulder for a moment, but she soon raised it, and standing very erect she said, "'Very well. If it must be, it must. It's easy to see that this bloodthirsty villain means every word he says, but I ain't going to whimper. I'm the captain.' and I order that everybody keep up his courage and wait and see what will happen. Aye, aye, ma'am, said the church warden. Do you know, whispered the old codger with the wooden leg, I believe that we are in a good deal of, er, danger. Freddy put his hand in Toby's and held it tight. You keep close to me if you can, said Toby, squeezing his hand. We may be rescued at the last minute you never can tell. Don't lose your nerve. Freddy was trembling with fear, and the hand which held Toby's was as cold as ice, but he said nothing. The others were being brave, and he resolved that he would be as brave as the rest, up to the very last. He began to think of his mother and his father, and to wonder what would become of them if he should be—but he forced himself not to think of that. He pressed his lips tight together, and commanded himself to be brave. The six pirates returned, clad in their baggy rubber suits, and looking very much like bears walking on their hind legs. They brought with them Captain Lingo's suit, and helped him to get into it. When he was encased like the others, with only his hands and face showing, he said, "'Now, madam, I will assist you to the fall.' "'We'll attend to that.' Put in Toby quickly. "'Come on, Mr. Punch!' On Amanda's cane having been lost, she found more difficulty in walking than formerly. But Toby and Mr. Punch supported her to such good effect that she kept up with the others very well on their march into the water towards the fall. All, except the pirates, shivered as the cold water came again around their knees, and they looked with fear upon the tumbling cataract which they were required to go under. There was no help for it, however. The seven pirates surrounded them and persuaded them to go on. They stood in a forlorn group in the quiet water near the foot of the fall. "'Now, madam,' said Captain Lingo, "'I will help you under.' Toby and Mr. Punch, feeling that the pirate knew the way better than they did, resigned on Amanda to his care not without some fear that the villain might deliberately drown her on the way through. He made her kneel in the water, and then lie flat, and with a strong arm he pulled her under the waterfall and out of sight. "'You're next,' said a deep voice to Freddy, and catch the practitioner seized him and plunged with him under the water, and in an instant they had disappeared beyond the fall. One after another the miserable shivering victims were assisted by the pirates under the water, and one by one disappeared. The old codger with the wooden leg was the last, and one of the pirates returned for him. When he had followed the others, the great half-dark chamber remained as it had been before, in its empty solitude and gloom, without an ear to hear the steady rush of water pouring incessantly down its fall on the outer side of that rushing fall was a scene very different indeed. The pirates and their captives stood under a blazing sun, looking across a wide and beautiful landscape. Behind them, in the side of a hill, high overgrown with bushes, was the hole by which they had come forth, and across the inside of this hole was the curtain of falling water. Freddy wondered how anyone had ever had the courage to plunge for the first time through that curtain into the unknown dark. The heat of the sun was very grateful, and the clothing of the soaked travellers began to dry perceptibly at once. The pirates took off their rubber suits. Beneath the observers the ground sloped down into a broad valley, checkered with grass meadows and dotted with trees. To their left, as they gazed out across the landscape, the ground rose from the valley by easy stages to a great height, no doubt forming the landward side of the black cliff which bordered the ocean. To the right, the country rolled gently away from the valley in a vast unbroken forest, a shimmering green ocean of treetops as far as the eye could see far, far off where the forest rose in a kind of mound. Freddy thought he could see what looked like the top of a round tower just emerging above the haze of trees. The pirates and their captives were standing on a little grassy plateau on which were great boulders here and there, and a few wide leafy trees. Two or three fallen logs were lying near the edge of the plateau where it began to slope downward. Captain Lingo stepped out of his rubber suit, spread out his fine white handkerchief on a boulder to dry, and twiddled his moist fingers daintily in the air, after which he blew on his fingernails and polished them on his shirt-sleeves. We are now ready, said he, for the ceremony. Ketch, thy cutlass. Ketch drew his cutlass from his belt and handed it to the captain. It glittered wickedly in the sunlight. The captain ran his thumb along its edge, and nodded his head with satisfaction. "'It will do,' said he. "'One stroke for each will be quite sufficient. We will now proceed with the ceremony.' He restored the cutlass to the practitioner, who raised it high and gave a swinging slash downward with it, as if to test his eye and arm. The practitioner then rolled his right shirt-sleeve up to his shoulder. He was the largest man in the party, and his arm was the arm of a blacksmith. "'Stop!' cried Mr. Punch. "'One moment. Captain Lingo! You are a Englishman, aren't you?' "'I am an Englishman,' said the captain, swelling out his chest. "'Long live King James!' "'I am a Henglishman, also.' "'said Mr. Punch, swelling out his chest. "'You can't murder a fellow countryman in cold blood now, can you?' "'I see you You couldn't do that, you know. "'We're both subjects of Her Gracious Majesty, we are. "'Long live Queen Victoria.' "'Who?' said Captain Lingo. "'Queen Victoria!' cried Mr. Punch. "'She'd never, never forgive you if—' Never heard of her, said Captain Lingo, calmly. I'm a loyal subject of His Catholic Majesty King James the Second. May all the saints defend him. King James the Second! cried mr Punch. Why, he's been dead these two hundred year nearly, even as dead as Christopher Columbus. Captain Lingo started violently, and his face became dark with anger. Dead? King James dead? Do you mark that, lads? He calls his blessed Majesty dead. Aha! Thou renegade Englishman, thou hast imagined the death of the King, a felony by St. George, and the punishment is death. What thou reprobate! Dost thou not know, tis a felony punishable by death to imagine the death of the King? But he is dead one can't live two hundred years you know you hear said captain lingo his voice quivering with rage he imagines the death of the king any judge in the kingdom would sentence him to die for that Tis the law but enough talk captain lingo is not the man to stand by and see the law defied for that my pretty englishman thou shalt die the death twice over there shall be violence in thy case thou shalt wish thou hast never been born thou shalt be kept for the last Ay, aye there shall be fine sport at his taking off eh lads enough proceed with the ceremony to imagine the death of the king catch art thou ready Ay, aye captain said the practitioner the captain cast his angry eye over the terrified group shivering in their damp garments ONE OF YOU MUST BE FIRST. WHO SHALL BE FIRST? LET ME SEE. EACH PERSON quailed AS THE PIRATE'S EYE RESTED ON HIM. ONE MOMENT. WE WILL DECIDE IT BY CHANCE. HE PLUCKED SEVEN SPRIGS OF GRASS AND BROKE THEM INTO VARYING LENGTHS. HE THEN HELD THEM ALL IN HIS HAND SO THAT ONLY THE EVEN ENDS SHOWED. NOW CHOOSE, SAID HE, THE LONGEST BLADE SHALL BE FIRST. Each drew a blade of grass, except Mr. Punch, who had already been reserved for the last. "'Thou shalt be quartered alive,' said the captain to him, to dare imagine the death of the King." Freddy trembled as he drew his sprig of grass, but he did not draw the longest. The longest blade fell to Mr. Hanlon, and the next to Freddy. Mr. Toby was the third, the churchwarden fourth. The sly old codger fifth, Aunt Amanda sixth, and the old codger with the wooden leg seventh. "'We will use that fallen log,' said the captain, and led the way towards it. He was now very stern. All his politeness had been dissipated by the offence of Mr. Punch. "'Toby,' said Aunt Amanda, as they were moving towards the place of the ceremony. I hope you will excuse me for all the cross words I have ever spoken to you. "'Oh, nonsense, Aunt Amanda,' said Toby sniffling a little. "'I've been a trial enough. "'I know it. "'What will become of the shop?' "'Poor Freddy,' said Aunt Amanda. "'It just breaks my heart to see him so brave. "'He's so young to have to—to—' "'And his poor mother—' "'Oh, dear! "'Oh, dear!' Now then, said Captain Lingo, you may sit down on the grass until your turn come. Toby helped Aunt Amanda to sit down. Freddy sat beside her and pressed his white face against her shoulder. The others grouped themselves on the grass about them, all except Mr. Hanlon, who, knowing that his time had come, stepped forward and stood before Ketch, the practitioner, who was feeling the edge of his cutlass one of the pirates produced from his pocket some strong twine and bound Mr. Hanlon's arms behind him. On a sign from Captain Lingo, this man led Mr. Hanlon to the fallen log and made him kneel beside it and rest his head face down upon it so that there was a good view from above of the back of his neck. The dreadful moment had arrived. Ketch the practitioner took his place by Mr. Hanlon's side, planted his feet firmly wide apart, tucked in his right shirt-sleeve at the shoulder, and raised his gleaming cutlass high above his head. A scream from Aunt Amanda made him hesitate for an instant, but only for an instant. As Aunt Amanda and Freddy closed their eyes and buried their faces in their hands, the cutlet flashed twice around the head of Ketch and came down with a swift and horrible slash straight upon the back of Mr. Hanlon's neck. A single stroke was enough. Mr. Hanlon's head rolled off upon the ground. "'Well done, Ketch,' said Captain Lingo quietly. "'I doubt if there's another hand on the Spanish Main could have done it.' Ketch blushed with honest pride at these gracious words. He swung his bloody cutlass in embarrassment. All the pirates turned towards the pale group on the grass, and Captain Lingo said, "'Next!' Already stood up. His knees began to tremble under him, and his heart was beating so fast that he could hardly breathe. Aunt Amanda flung her arms about him as he stood beside her, and cried, No, 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 in a voice of anguish. All eyes were on the little boy as he stood awaiting his dreadful fate, with Aunt Amanda's arms about him. His time had come, His friends were waiting to see if he would be brave, and though his face was white, his courage did not fail him. He looked at them in farewell, and each one gave him a tearful gaze in return. He turned his eyes towards the warm and friendly landscape for a last look at the world he was about to leave. It would be hard to go, and he would need all his strength to bear the... A loud cry from Freddy startled all the others, and pointed a shaking finger. They looked, and what they saw was Mr. Hanlon. By the log on which his head had been cut off, Mr. Hanlon was standing, his hands behind his back, and his head in its proper place on his shoulders. He was smiling and bowing, and as the astonished spectators gazed at him with their mouths open. HE SPRANG LIGHTLY INTO THE AIR AND CLICKED HIS HEELS TOGETHER AS HE CAME DOWN. HA HA HA! LAUGHED TOBY IN SPITE OF HIMSELF. FREDDIE, WE'VE SEEN THAT LITTLE ACT BEFORE, HAVEN'T WE? FREDDIE NODDED. HE REMEMBERED VERY WELL THE FIRST TIME HE HAD SEEN MR. HANLON'S HEAD CUT OFF. AT THE GAUNT STREET THEATRE AT HOME. HE WONDERED THAT HE HAD NOT THOUGHT OF IT BEFORE. CAPTAIN LINGO WAS PLAINLY VERY ANGRY. HIS FACE TURNED A PURPLE HUE and the scar across his mouth showed very white. He fingered his knife dangerously, and at the same time glared at Ketch, who was scratching his head in bewilderment. The captain did not raise his voice, but he spoke with deadly earnestness. "'A fine workman thou, friend Ketch,' said he, "'truly a pretty hand with a cutlass, thou son of a sea-cook.' "'I've a mind to let a little of thy blood with this knife, thou scurvy knave. "'But I will give thee one more chance. "'If thou fail again, by St. George, thou shalt die the death. "'One more now, and remember.' "'It was Ketch's turn now to tremble. "'He knew very well that Captain Lingo would do as he had said, "'if he should fail a second time. "'His own life hung on a thread now. "'Aye, aye, Captain,' he said huskily, and led Mr. Hanlon back to the fallen log, and made him kneel as before. As Mr. Hanlon's head lay across the log, he turned it round towards his friends, and gave them a long, slow wink. Ketch's cutlass flashed as before. Round his head it swung twice, and down it came with a slashing stroke straight and true on the back of Mr. Hanlon's neck off rolled mr hanlon's head upon the ground everyone watched breathlessly and ketch did not breathe at all for a second mr hanlon's body continued to kneel headless beside the log then the head on the ground popped like a flash to the neck it belonged to and fastened itself accurately there in place ketch turned ghastly pale mr hanlon sprang up opened his mouth wide in a soundless laugh, bowed to Captain Lingo, jumped lightly into the air, and clicked his heels together three times as he came down. Captain Lingo's face was a terrible sight to see. He gazed steadily at Ketch. The unfortunate practitioner was shaking like a leaf. Captain Lingo slowly drew his knife and held it behind him in his right hand. With the other hand he pointed to the ground before him. "'Hither, dog!' he said in a quiet, even voice. Ketch hesitated, gave a wild look about him, and advanced slowly towards his captain. When he reached him, he fell on his knees and held up his shaking hands. "'No, no, no, captain!' he cried. "'Don't do it! Oh, please don't do it! "'I done my duty always, and I ain't never failed before. "'Remember my poor old mother, captain!' Give me one chance, Captain, just one. Don't kill me, Captain. Captain!" The expression on Lingo's face did not change, but the glitter in his eye became even more murderous than before. He said not a word, but with his left hand snatched off the kerchief which bound Ketch's head, and seized him by the hair, and with his other hand he brought the knife swiftly around in front and lowered it to plunge it into Ketch's heart. At that moment Aunt Amanda, forgetting her lameness, struggled to her feet, hobbled to the kneeling man, and throwing her body between him and the knife, shrieked at Captain Lingo. "'Stop! Stop! You bloodthirsty villain! Ain't you got no shame? What are you going to murder him for? Ain't he done the best he could? You're a big bully, that's all you are. You ain't a man at all. You're a monster.' put up that knife and take your hand out of his hair ain't you ashamed of yourself captain lingo was taken completely by surprise his eyes opened wide and his jaw dropped he was so astonished that he took his hand from ketch's hair and put up his knife that's the idea said aunt amanda you're more of a man than i thought mr ketch you had better get up madam said captain lingo Making her a bow. 'tis a bold action and generous. I trust I am able to respond to it in kind. My duty to you, ma'am, your obedient humble servant, Ketch, thou white livered dog, get up and thank this lady for thy life. Ketch, still pale and trembling, stood up and seizing one of Aunt Amanda's hands in both of his, made a low bow over it and kissed it fervently. By the look in his eyes it was plain to see that he was from that moment her devoted slave. "'Madam and gentlemen,' said Captain Lingo, "'I am sorry to inform you that the ceremony is over, "'until I can obtain another practitioner to take the place of Ketch, "'I blush with shame when I think how I boasted of his skill. "'I hope you will not think I meant to deceive you.' I assure you I am more disappointed than you can possibly be. I am provoked and disgusted and irritated. I am annoyed. I can't deny it. There is nothing to do but to retire to our home in High Dudgeon." "'What's that?' said Aunt Amanda. Is it a place, or is it just the way you feel?" "'Ask me no more,' said Captain Lingo, turning away i must confer with my lads about our next step are you going to take us with you asked aunt amanda we shall certainly give ourselves that pleasure madam said the captain rather stiffly lads come with me on a sign from the captain one of the pirates cut the twine which bound mr hanlon's hands and the restored one joined his friends on the grass the seven pirates moved away to a spot some score of yards apart, where they all sat down on the ground and engaged at once in animated talk. "'I conclude,' said the churchwarden, though I don't know, as I'm right about it, and other people may have a different opinion, that we're a good deal better off. "'What I say is,' said Toby, clapping Freddy on the shoulder, "'what I say is,' Three cheers for Mr. Hanlon. Yes, said Freddy. That's just what I said that day after the theatre. I wonder, said the old codger with the wooden leg, I wonder, er, ahem, if Captain Lingo has, er, such a thing as a pinch of snuff about him. End of chapter 16 Recording by Laurie Arsenault